supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. We're here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, wow, I think they just replaced the light bulb in our uh, red on the air light over there because that thing is bright. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for summertime now when we're going to have... Mosquitoes hovering around it. That'll be great. Uh, Moniz, is there any uh, significance in in having a slightly more orangey bulb than we used to have in the past? Is there any kind of scientific reason why that would be? Does that stand out in people's minds more as urgent than, say, a red? No, I think it's just a case of that's the color bulb that they had available. That's that's what they found at Benny's? Yeah. (laughs) We love Benny's. I feel like that's a fluorescent bulb anyway. I think they just switched it to like a... Low voltage one. I think they pulled like a Craigie Santos. Tighten the belt. I think they here. pulled a Craigie Santos and it's a white bulb and they just colored the, the glass with a crayon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it, it, worked. Worked. it worked on the dome light of his car. All right. So well, we are here to talk with you about the paranormal, not uh, home decor and, and studio design. Although that would be an interesting topic some night. I, I, people were actually posting up on our YouTube videos on the Spooky South Coast YouTube channel how different the studio looks. After watching some of the videos, and uh, it it really has. It's changed. It's stepped into the the 1990s in here. Yep. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we're going to make the most of that technology the best we can. And now uh, we've got a great show planned for you tonight. Later on in the program, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jim Stein. He's going to talk about his book, The Paranormal Equation, with us. And Moniz, you had a chance to talk with Jim uh, on 30-odd minutes. And I was watching that earlier and, and listening to the discussion. And uh, this is an interesting take on paranormal phenomena. It's a way to apply mathematics and actually have a scientific way to prove the paranormal, which you know, I know is something you've been doing your whole life. But uh, we'll, we'll talk with him about that coming up in, in the second hour of the program. But before that, we're going to talk a little bit about the Houghton Mansion. Now, we have an event coming up through Legend Trips. April 5th through the 7th at the Houghton Mansion. And if you'd like to find out more about the event, you can visit www.legendtrips.com. And the information is right up there to purchase your tickets and to find out more about you know what the event entails and about the room deal that we have going on. But we've got two of the foremost authorities on the Houghton Mansion joining us on the phone lines tonight. Uh, we have Josh Mantello of the Berkshire Paranormal Group, who are actually headquartered in the Houghton Mansion. And we also have joining us on the line... Jeff Belanger of Ghost Adventure. I think I just dropped Josh. No, you just dropped Jeff. No, Jeff's locked. No, well, call back, Jeff. Phones are working outstanding tonight. That's why I bring them on one at a time. But that's all right. We have, uh, we have Josh with us joining us on the line. So we'll bring Josh up. Good evening, Josh. Can you hear us? Yes, how you doing today? All right, good. I don't know why it's not saying that you're on the air, but you are on the air. I am. All right. <laughs> it goes a lot smoother in here usually, I swear. Uh, so Moniz is going to get Jeff back on the uh, on the other line. But you're part of Berkshire Paranormal Group, which are actually, you guys are stationed in, in the Houghton Mansion. That's your base of operations? Yeah, we um, we really formed um, 
because of the Houghton Mansion, you know, we, um, as a lot of you may or may not know, the Houghton Mansion is an active Masonic Lodge. Uh, we were members of that lodge, uh, heard of stories about the haunting that's been passed down for years after year after year. So we decided to have um, the building investigated. Uh, after being present during the investigation, it was just like awe-inspiring for us and just started buying EMF meters and voice recorders and started getting into it for ourselves. And, you know, uh, being key holders to a, you know, a well-known haunting definitely gives you a great opportunity to practice and and, and hone our skills so it's really sure. our our base of operation you know where we can go down practice train and just hold events like we have coming up and, and whatnot well we also have joining us on the line jeff belanger of 30 odd minutes and and uh, he also works for ghost adventures which uh, visited the houghton mansion in season one and and jeff i know that the houghton was someplace that you'd been familiar with long before uh zach and the guys went out there yeah no when we were working on season one um Looking for locations, that was one of the places I threw out right away. I said, you know, the Houghton would be perfect for, for what we're doing. And, um, and I gosh, I think that was the second or third location we ever filmed for the series. And uh, I've known Josh forever. Josh, good to talk to you again. Hey, you too, Josh. Yeah, and, uh, and just, you know, it's such an amazing building, so much space, so much room, so much history, so many layers of history, you know, not just the tragedy that occurred, but also you know, the Masons and, and um, you know, just, just an amazing building. And I think, as Josh has said many times before, it never disappoints. Well, the, the history is pretty interesting uh, uh, about A.C. Houghton and, and how the mansion came to be haunted. And, and, Jeff, I know that you researched that quite a bit uh, for the program. I mean, what can you tell us about uh, A.C. Houghton's history and the history of the location? Well, well, you know, I would defer to Josh to be the expert there. But, I mean, in short, A.C. Houghton, you know, one of the uh, – was the first mayor, right, of uh, North Adams, Josh? Yes, that's yes, you are. Yeah, so first mayor of North Adams, you know, prominent citizen, um, you know, built this mansion, and uh, you know, tragic story really. You know, he gets this new car, a Pierce Arrow, and has his um, has his you know his, his servant John Witters learn how to drive it, and um, you know takes the takes the family up for a you know for a drive up to Vermont, and, and uh, it's it's really a, a date with destiny. You know the the. Um, there's a horrible accident. It was August 1st, uh, 1914. And, um, you know, the car goes off the road. It goes tumbling. And, and uh, you know, there's Houghton's daughter dies, you know, a few hours later in the hospital. And, and it's the beginning of the end. And A.C. Houghton died just uh, was a week later, right, Josh? From um, The 11th, so it would be about just over a week, 10 days. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 10 days after he dies, um, you know, from a, you know, from basically a broken heart. And also John Witters took his own life because he felt so guilty about, you know, what had happened. And so, you know, a real tragic story. It's completely an accident, but a, but a tragedy that left a mark. And then you combine it with a suicide, the death of A.C. Houghton, um, you know, and, and his daughter. And, and suddenly you've, you've got this place that, that everybody looks at and talks about all these years later. You know, gosh, 99 years later, right? We're still talking about this place and this tragedy that took place right there in North Adams. And Josh, the, just the emotional scars that must be left on the property from those tragedies, it must be something that's probably pretty palpable even just walking into the building, even without investigating, but just being there in the mansion. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, people um, sensitive and psychic and, and, and not alone just stepping in get a very uh, kind of all in you know, something overcoming them. You know, when they first walk through the door, they get this, wow, this is such an amazing place and feel and and there are in there are particular areas you can go to where you know you can you can kind of even pick up 
on, on the feeling of sometimes that sadness and that heaviness uh, that has to do with some of these untimely or unpredicted deaths. And when you are uh, conducting these investigations uh, and you do have, especially when you have people with uh, sensitivities and abilities and, and are, who are able to communicate with these spirits, uh, is it A.C. Houghton that they make the most uh, connection with? Is it John Witters? Is it is it Houghton's daughter? Who seems to be some of the standout spirits that are in the location? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to say who really the uh, most prevalent is. It really depends sometimes on the, uh, the mood of the evening and, and, and who's more active. Uh, there are three very distinct spirits with their own, you know, different personalities, just as if they were alive. Uh, I've been doing this long, and, and I've been, you know, I'll tell you now, I, I don't, I have a psychic ability of a rock. But you know, being in there and just seeing, you know, how things develop, sometimes I can tell you, you know, this is Mary, this is John, um, Mr. Houghton. When he's around, he's very. This is still his home to him, and he still lives there. And he has a hard time, I think, still accepting the fact that he doesn't own it anymore. And these are people who are welcome guests, even though he didn't welcome them. And it kind of comes off as kind of a cranky and unwelcoming kind of feel to it, where Mary is a much more kind of um, welcoming kind of feel to a room. A lot of times it's, you can hold um, conversations with K2 meters or, or different types of uh, uh uh, different types of pendulums and things along those lines, different types of dowsing options, where um, when John Witters is around and he likes to hang out more on the third floor of the building, so sometimes it's even dependent on where you are, um, John really has kind of it, that, that darkness, that that sadness, uh, you know, that suicide kind of feel to it where you think, geez, you know, maybe he regrets the decision that he made, um, plus the, the weight of the accident still weighing on him. Well, Jeff, this is a little bit different than some of the other legend trips that we've done, not just in the fact that it's going to be a multi-day event, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but in terms of kind of the tone of of the haunting, uh, so to speak. You know, we're, we're, we're used to hanging out at Lizzie Borden's where, of course, there was, there was that murder, but we know that there's uh, a very tenuous relationship between the investigators and the ghosts there. And uh, we've done places like uh, Fort Tabor and the Fearing Tavern where we've gone in there just assuming that because the buildings are, are old and have these rich histories that we can kind of reach out and touch the other side there. But this is going to be something that's a little bit different because it, it's almost like we have to go into this with a whole different level of, of respect, uh, appreciation, and, and understanding and sympathy for these spirits. Yeah, it really is. This, uh, this haunting is unique. It's also it's a big building. It's a lot of space. This is one of those places, you know, and like Josh said, I'm as psychic as Josh is, which is, you know, nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I feel, see, you know, sense nothing. Unless it's right there in front of me, you know, everybody else has to see it too. But when you walk into that building, you, especially when, you know, it, when you first walked in, it's not too full. And, and I, I mean, God, I don't know how many times I've been there now over the years, but you walk in and you just go, oh, man, this place is haunted. You know, you, you feel it. It's, it's in the air. Um, and, and, and you've got layers of mysteries, too. You know, you've, you've also got the, the Masonic part of it, too, the, you know, the Masonic Lodge, which is in there, and, and people have access to that as well. And, and, and I know Josh is a Mason, and, and, and Josh, you know, who rigs every Oscar night? We do. We do. We do. <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, you know, Josh has taken me all around that building over the years, and it's, uh, it, it's amazing. It's, it just keeps going and going and going. And, and there is this, this tuning into the past. And, and some nights, you know, one floor is more active than the other, and then you get down in the basement, and there's some other presence that doesn't, 
you know, and Josh, jump in here, but it doesn't seem tied necessarily to Houghton or his yeah. daughter or to Witters. It seems like it's something else that's down in that basement. Yeah, that's, that is something we, um, we're really at a loss with that one. And there's as many theories, um, uh, uh, there's a dozen theories or more as to what this, the spirit is. It's, it's uh, really projects itself as kind of a small child. People kind of get it more of a female child. Uh, it, it does manifest as a shadow quite frequently. Uh, it it will play light. You'll see lights. I mean, I've seen a bright green light as clear as day and, you know, pitch dark come out of this, you know, this one area. And uh, we're not sure. A.C. Houghton had a daughter that died at a very young age, long before the building was ever even thought of. Uh, Mary Houghton was in her 30s when she died. Um, is it her projecting herself as a younger child, you know, being more of a playful side of her own spirit? I mean, I don't know what the rules are for her. You know, can she do that? Can she not? Um, you know, but there's also, there were properties, there were buildings on the property before the mansion was built, you know, and they had a cellar hole just like this one did. It probably wasn't filled in just to dig another one. So it's maybe something attached to those previous properties that somehow just stayed in that cellar when the other buildings left. Uh, our guess, your guess is as good as mine, and you could put it in the pile of the rest of the guesses of what's actually down there. Well, well, Josh, uh, Jeff brought up an interesting point with the Masonic Lodge being part of it, and and you being a Mason. There is a lot of mystery to the outside people, and, and our co-host here, Matt Moniz, is also a Mason. There's a lot of mystery uh, to the Masonic Brotherhood, and a lot of people don't really understand what goes on there. And I'm sure that kind of lends itself. Uh, to some of the the creepiness factor when people are there investigating. No, it definitely does. And, and let me let me ask a quick uh, follow up question: How in the world do you get Benjamin Franklin to do your radio ads? I thought that guy's <laughs> been dead for like ever. <laughs> well, it's you know it's it's part of the, uh, an Illuminati kind of secret society. You know, we're, we're, it's it's we have the thing to bring you back to life. It's part of our you know taking right. the world plan. It can't oh, be revealed like the yet. thirty level Masons, right? So okay. that explains all those new Tupac albums. Well, you right. know we yeah. got the Grail, right? You know, so we, yeah. that's got to be it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Josh, I'm I'm assuming though that uh, you get a lot of people that who are there investigating for the ghost, but they ask you a lot of questions uh, about the Masons. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and you know, and the best thing that you know I can really have it describe it is you know we're not a secret society; we're a society with secrets. And, you know, and it's not even that secretive anymore. Anybody who really wants to know can Google it and get the answers, like anything. Right. Um, you know, but the, the Lodge is really, you know, it, it's gotten active. Uh, I mean, even probably since the last time Jeff has even been there, or even Matt, I think, you know, it's been a little while since he's been there. You know, we started to get a lot more out of the Lodge room because we never investigated there. Because we figured, out oh, it's an add-on part of the building. It's not part of the Houghton's house. It was extra. There's no ghosts here. And, you know, we started to spend a little bit more time in there. And, boy, it, it's gotten active in that big room. And it, it, it's, it's funny. We're wondering, you know, we start asking ourselves, boy, maybe, maybe there's some Masons. You know, some of, these, some of these guys, you know, myself included, you know, they have a true love for the fraternity. And when they pass on, they might still be hanging out. And there's sometimes we, we ask specific questions, you know, that, you know, only a Mason would – would really kind of know how to properly respond. And, and we get responses in there that are, you know, it definitely raise your eyebrows. So it, it, it's just a question form. who rigs every Oscar night. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the Ouija board spells yeah. out, we do. 
Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That joke's dead. Let's leave it alone. Well, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if, if a lot of uh, former Masons decide to hang around there in, in the afterlife because you probably hear similar stories from a lot of clubs and, and fraternal organizations because people dedicate so much of their time and it, and it means so much to them in life. Well, there's several other uh, haunted Masonic lodges I've been kind of tracking. Now, one of the things I'm thinking is uh, I know that lodges will share uh, like furniture and certain items back and forth between lodges. They're called traveling this or that. And yeah. I'm wondering if there is something attached to possibly these articles. Uh, Josh knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, traveling gavels and, yeah. and things along those lines. We've had those pass through our building multiple times. You know, there's, you know, masonry is not a religious organization, but there's definitely religious overtones to it. Um, you know, there are ceremonies that are performed, and, you know, and they could be bringing in things or bringing things out. I mean, I know I practically live there from the end of August through November. It's you know, every other day. I mean, it's, it's the Halloween season, and we're in an haunted building. I, you know, I, I might as well have a bed there. I, I spend a lot of time there and have a love for the place. Who knows? I might go join them and haunt it if I can when I pass on. I don't know. You know, some, you know I'm sure there's other people who dedicated just as much time over the last hundred years to that building as I had, if not more. Hey, there's one other there's one other aspect to the Houghton Mansion too that um, we, we haven't brought up yet. Uh, mm. You know, Josh, let's talk about the connection between the Hoosick Tunnel, the haunted Hoosick Tunnel there in North Adams, and the Houghton Mansion. I mean, some of the some of the rocks have been brought over, correct? Absolutely. That's that's something we're like ninety five percent sure of. Uh, it, it's never yet to be kind of archaeologically proven. You know, where somebody actually tested these rocks to see if they are the spoil of the of the of the quarry quarrying of the stones. Um, but the you know the Hoosick Tunnel is probably the most haunted place in Massachusetts. It's not as popular because it's still private property and illegal to go in. Uh, but it's the largest tunnel still this side of the Rocky Mountains uh, in in North America. Just a, a quarter mile short, of five miles long, and during its construction was, you know, a great undertaking. And two hundred people lost their lives in the making of this tunnel over the course of its making. And it was described as the big dig of the 1800s. Uh, we all kind of know how the big dig went now, you know, with overruns and, and deaths and, and, and this. It was the equivalent of that for its time period. And uh, a lot of people think that, you know. A five-mile tunnel, there's a lot of rocks that came out of there. Uh, they, they were used for something. There's not big piles anywhere. Uh, they were used to make walls. They sold it for profit. Um, the wall that retains the road that runs parallel to the mansion um, is is filled with those stones that came out of that tunnel. And well, There's a lot of quartz in there. Sometimes quartz holds a lot of negative or positive energy either way. And it's uh, definitely something that's really led to the kind of even, again, the mystery of What's causing what happened there? Did it curse the property? Did it did it curse the Houghtons? You know, something along those lines. Now, Jeff, uh, for those who might not have seen the episode of, of Ghost Adventures that took place at the Houghton Mansion, uh, did did they have some things happening? Did they have some uh, some things take place while they were investigating while they were in lockdown? Yeah, there was. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, just in, in in the interest of full disclosure, I've worked on ninety one episodes of Ghost Adventures, and this <laughs> they kind of bleed number- together. Yeah. This is about number three, so you're asking me to go back a ways. Um, Josh, wasn't it? Uh, they had motion detector stuff going off too, right? And didn't they catch yeah. like some kind of mist um, yep. on the first floor? Yep. I say, yeah, that's probably of all the uh, 
the evidence they captured, the one that I found most intriguing is they uh, they set up like a, a series of motion detectors in a in a kind of triangulated position uh, facing one of the doors in the building, and as they were locked in, and you know the three of them were, I, I believe, going up to the third floor. They could hear the motion sensors start to go off, and uh, they they ran down to see you know what was setting off these motion sensors. Obviously, nothing was there, but the uh, you played back the tape the second those motion sensors start to go off, a shadow ran across the door. You know, you, a very distinct shadow um, breaks the beams of the IR emitters for the uh, for the cameras and it sets off the motion detectors. Hmm. Well, I'm sure people will be bringing their own motion detectors uh, during this event to try and recreate that. And it's amazing, Jeff. You, you saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago at Lizzie Borden's that uh, a lot of our regular attendees have decided to go beyond just you know, getting into a place and, and investigating and are now conducting experiments as part of these Legend Trips events. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, one of the things that we do with, with all these events, there's a couple things. One, we've, we've raised thousands of dollars to help preserve these buildings. Over 8000 today. 8000 bucks. yeah. That's wow. a big part of, of what we're doing is, is to help help preserve these places because they're, they're special, they're important, and, and they, you know, they need the money. Um, but the other part is that, you know, we get you access in, in – to places and at times where you don't normally get access and it's a great opportunity we welcome it you know someone wants to film something someone wants to record something write articles whatever it is you know all are welcome to do that and at the lizzie borden event we had um we had a group that was there they had basically it was like a a, a mat picture like a mat like a like almost like a doormat that would uh register pressure and they had uh you, you know remote sensors that would go off so if something applied some pressure to these doormats we'd hear an alarm, you know, another one or two floors away. So you could put these things down, and if it's beeping, that means something just, you know, pressed on this stuff. So really interesting experiments that are being done. We welcome it. You know, we welcome, uh, you know, someone wants to perform a line of questioning for an EVP session. Whatever it is, this is the opportunity to do that with like-minded people who might be able to help validate or, or hone your experiment. And that's one of my favorite parts about, uh, you know, doing the investigations of these things. One thing that's, that's it's great about the Houghton, too, is we are big. I, I've held events in there with, you know, 100 people, and you still can go find a corner where you think you're alone inside that building. You know, so you, you can still get that large group of people and conduct an experiment somewhere in a far-off corner of the building and still feel like you're completely alone in this haunted building. Well, and that's one of the things about the Legend Trips events that I, a lot of people – uh, might not understand if they haven't been on one is they look at these events and they say, oh, you know, you guys are selling quite a few tickets here and there's going to be a lot of people there. But with the way that we conduct these events, we're able to break it down and keep it into much smaller groups so that when you are investigating, you're not really stumbling all over each other. Now, uh, Jeff, we also have some special guests coming to this event too. And now I've never had the chance to investigate with either Ron Kolick uh, or Dave Schrader. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see how both of them uh, work in action. I know we'll be st stationed in different sections of the building during the course of the night, but uh, you know they're bringing a, a new dynamic to this to this legend trip. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dave's a lot of fun. Dave's um, you know been doing investigations for years and years all over the place, and you know he was the, the chief judge on Paranormal Challenge on the Travel Channel, and uh, he's just a, he's a great investigator. You know, stuff happens around him is all I can tell you, and and he's a lot of fun. You know, he makes these things uh, entertaining, and he gives great talks. Uh, you know, he'll be there. Ron Kolick, uh, I've known Ron 
probably as long as I've known you, Tim. I mean, you know, about the same time he's been, you know, doing a radio show forever. I almost feel like this is like the ultimate radio summit, you know, between Darkness Radio, <laughs> really Spooky is. South Coast, you know, and uh, and, and uh, Ghost Chronicles, you know, between the three, um, you know, the three radio shows. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a lot of people that, um, you know, that listen to paranormal radio. And and what I love about all of you guys is is your passion for the subject. Week after week, for years, you've been coming to the table to talk about this stuff. And that's the most important part of the whole thing, you know, is to just keep talking about it. Because, you know, we're all going to find our own individual answers along the way. We're going to come up with, with stuff that makes sense to us. But But the discussion is the most important thing we can do is to keep talking about these subjects. You know, keep them out there in the public. You do it on your show. Dave does it on his. Ron does it on, on his show. And it's, I'm, I just think it's going to be awesome to have all of you in the same room, you know, have your audiences in the same room and, uh, and see what happens. Yeah, when nice. I, I was going to say, when I had the chance to investigate with Ron at the uh, at Fort Tabor in the Millican Battery, he was way down the other end of the tunnel, but I could still hear everything that he was doing. And uh, he definitely has an interesting approach. I mean, he, he takes no, no gruff from any of these ghosts, that's for sure. No, you know, and the other thing, too, once you've been doing this a long time, uh, you, know, you know, like all of us, in a long time, I mean, you know, uh, you know, more than a few years, uh, you start to really get a sense for when something's really happening, when something's legit. And I love talking to you guys privately, too. You know, you and Dave and Ron, we, we've had such similar discussions. It's going to be great for all of us to get together, especially that Friday night, you know, the meet and greet where we go to the haunted bar and, you know, where we guarantee guarantee how many how many events can guarantee that we will find spirits we will find spirits at that we will bar find plenty of spirits we will find plenty bar. of spirits jose jack uh they will all be there you know um, <laughs> but it'll just be i love the discussions you know that's that's the most riveting part like how does this stuff work why does it happen at some locations and not others you know why do these things go on and on and and that's uh you know that's the best part of all of this and that that'll be the best part of this event is uh, on the friday night we are going to the haunted freight yard pub and uh, the owner, Colleen Taylor, she doesn't really buy into a lot of this ghost stuff, but uh, a lot of her staff talk about the room upstairs where we're going to be and how they don't like to go in there and strange things will happen, stuff will move around, stuff will float by them. So you know, we're going to have the chance to be up there kind of by ourselves off the beaten path from the rest of the bar goers that night, and we'll be able to see if maybe a few things don't start floating around, especially after we've had a, a few too many maybe. Because we're all walking back to the hotel, so there's... You know, there's there's no need to worry about uh, driving home. Absolutely, yeah, no. Th- these things are so much fun. You know, and and uh, y- you know, one of the things that you come to realize, especially, I mean, I've gone to many paranormal events over the years, and th- there's there's this feeling of com- camaraderie among everyone who goes to it that, you know, you you just you just get it. You're like all of us are are such misfits in our daily lives. You know, we don't <laughs> quite fit in, but at these things, I want to be a dentist. <laughs> Damn it! Just make toys. <laughs> you know, uh, we all fit in at these things. We we fit in with each other, and and there's there's no judgment, and it's just um, it's just so much fun. So looking forward to it. And and Josh, have you been to the freight yard before? Oh, yeah, absolutely! It's a great place. I've um, never been there as far as um, hauntings go. Um, I'm always welcome if ever want to invite me over for a formal investigation. But great place. It's it's within walking distance of both the mansion and the hotel everyone's staying at. Um, and really good food and great spirits. Um, but hey. also, I mean, <laughs> on a side note, um, you know, one thing you're, you're talking about, Ron, um, Ron was the first person to ever actually investigate the mansion. So, you know, he has a really unique, um, view on things. He was the, you know, the first investigator 
to really go in there and, and look for spirits. And it's probably with the exception of myself and my team has investigated it more than anyone else. So he has some really great insights as to what's happened over the decade now we've been doing this at that building. And let me say something, too, about the Berkshire Paranormal Group, that um, one of the things that, that I, I heard years ago from Josh, probably one of the first times I met him, you know, by that time they'd investigated the mansion like about 100 times. Now it's probably like 1,000 times. But, uh, you know, I, I've met groups over the years that are like, oh, yeah, we've conducted over 60 investigations. And that's great. It really is, truly. Um, you know, 60 different locations one time. But boy, you're going to learn a heck of a lot more investigating one location 60 times mm-hmm. than 60 locations one time. And that's one of the great things about Josh and his group. You know, they know that building inside and out. You know, when something starts ticking on the wall, they can be like, yeah, 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 that's where the hot water pipe is. And in cold nights, you know, it ticks. And, you know, this, is, this, this third step always creaks when you step on it. But they also know when stuff's out of place because they spent so much time there. So we're really going to benefit from having Josh there and, uh, you know, his group. So it sounds like if ever you wanted to investigate the Houghton Mansion, then this is the event for you because you will have uh, all these great people there to investigate alongside with. And it's coming up. It's April 5th through the 7th. And if you just want to go for the April 6th investigation portion, it's just like one of our regular Legend Trips events. You're going to get lectures. You're going to have a chance to to meet and greet with the the people involved. Uh, We'll serve you dinner. And then we'll have hours of guided investigation throughout the property. So if you want to just partake in the investigation itself, it's $125. But if you want to make a weekend of it and you want to come up on the Friday night, we'll all be getting together at the Freight Yard Pub, the haunted pub there. And uh, that is just 149 to have the uh, all-inclusive uh, both nights. And if you want to get involved, I think there's still a few rooms left at the Holiday Inn Berkshires right there across the street from the pub and down the street from the mansion. And the room deal is uh, it's a, it's a great discount. It's $112 for the night. And when you consider that they're still charging like ski season prices up there at this mm-hmm. time, you know how much more it could be than that. So $112 a night, but there are only a few rooms left. So you want to make sure that you buy your tickets for the event quickly so that you can call up the Holiday Inn and get one of those rooms before they are gone. And, of course, our website is legendtrips.com. If you want to purchase either ticket package there, you can do so. And uh, all the information to contact the hotel is up there as well. I'm really interested to see what happens when we bring, you know, we have a very strong contingent from this area, a lot of our South Coast area and Rhode Island, Southern New England paranormal investigators, when we descend upon North Adams and uh, and bring some of our own uh, experiences within the paranormal and take them into a different environment like this because a lot of people they don't get the chance to travel up that far north to investigate no it's a great town too i mean uh there's there's lots of i mean the museum out there is amazing it's uh, the berkshires are beautiful uh you know it's it's just it's a great area it's a great area for ghosts You're, you're right on the new york state line and, um, you know, you're in North Adams. And what's the name of that hot dog place, Josh, you took me to all those years ago? Oh, um, yeah, Hot Dog Ranch. It's actually uh-huh. about an eighth of a mile down the road from the pub. Um, if, you go, if you go for no other reason, those hot dogs were amazing. And, and, and there's a great legend in North Adams, and this is one of the things when I was working on Weird Massachusetts, Josh uh, took me around, the monster of Coca-Cola Ledge. Uh, one of those great stories, and that's why I remember the hot dog place, because, Josh, we went, for those, that, that, we, went, we went for hot dogs there uh, while we were looking for it. Um, Coca-Cola Ledge is this great big cliff that, that faces North Adams, and it's called Coca-Cola because years ago the Coca-Cola company painted their logo like a big billboard on the rock, um, and now it's been replaced by uh, you know um, different fraternities, you know, graffiti uh, over the years. But this monster that's said to lurk 
up on the ledge, which is by all accounts, by all descriptions, it's a Bigfoot creature, you know, tall, hairy, you know, upright ape kind of creature, um, you know, right there overlooking North Adams. Josh, have you have you had any encounters with the monster of Coca-Cola Ledge? Yeah, I, I never have. I, as a, a teenager, went up there a few times and never really had any experiences. I haven't barely been up there uh, recently. Uh, it's a great view for, um, to say uh, for for anything. Um, it, it's something though. It's one of the things you heard a lot as a kid. You know, it was one of those kind of stories passed on down by the generation. Uh, yet to hear any, never nothing recent. I've never seen anything myself. But you know, who knows? Uh, get those rooms on a Holiday Inn because the, the if you're on the right, the north facing side of the building, or sorry, the west facing side of the building, you get a view of it. You can watch it all night long. See if anything pops up on there while you're uh, compressing from your investigation. I, I get a feeling because there's going to be some free time to be had uh, on Saturday before the investigation, and then uh, on Sunday, of course, uh, we'll, we'll probably all get together for breakfast afterwards. But then people will slowly go in their own ways. I, I get a feeling that we're just going to be having a, an entire paranormal weekend in that whole area. Absolutely, it, and there, there's we can do. You, there's that. There, there's a few other places legal and not legal you can move around to and and check some things out. There's plenty of. Uh, <laughs> Legal and not legal. What are you saying? Right. It's it's legal on the radio, Josh. But then if you want to get yeah. illegal when we're there, that's a different story. Yeah. No. I mean, the, uh, you know, you know, sometimes you know, you know, take out, you know, a few people over to the Hoosick Tunnel. You know, can't take large groups there. Unfortunately, they kind of frown on that. But uh, you know, going up to the to, to the ledge, um, you uh, and just up the road, another two miles from the road is um, the Bellows Pipe Trail, where. We have the legend of the old coot. You can go look for him, who is a haunted Civil War um, veteran who haunts the Mount Greylock State Reservation, which is the, the same forest that the ledge is connected to. So plenty of legends to trip around on while you're up there. No, listen to that. You know, the old coot legend is a great legend. I mean, uh, you know, a little bit more about that, right, Josh? So this, this is a guy that went off to the Civil War. And, uh, and, and, you know, take it from there. What happened, you know, when he went off? Uh, yeah, he, he went off to the Civil War, um, and he, his family didn't hear from him. I mean, now you, when you go off to war, you, know, you can make phone calls and Skype and FaceTime with each other. This is, you know, a different era, and his family didn't hear from him for years. No letters, no nothing, and they just assumed he, he died in the war and, you know, and, and moved on with their lives. And so... You know, one day he, he comes back and, and makes his way through town and, and starts walking. He's walking up the road to his house, and he sees his wife and his children and another man. Um, they're all happy and, and living their lives, and he turned around. He didn't approach them. He said, well, they've, they've moved on in their life, and he didn't enter their life again and went off into the woods and lived as kind of a vagrant in the woods. He would go out, do some day work to make some money and eat, and then go back off and, and slept in you know, a cabin or cave or, or whatever in the woods. Nobody really knew. Um, eventually, you know, he, he, he died, but he still, people will still go out there and see the old coot. You know, his nickname, you know, was the old coot. You know, it was this crazy guy that came out of the woods, did some day work, got his food, and went back off in the woods. And, you know, hikers, this is, you know, the Appalachian Trail runs really near here. It's a very heavily uh, mountain bike path along Mount Greylock. And the people on those trails still see him kind of, walking through the uh, the forest and along the trails today. Dude, there's no doubt that North Adams is such a, a hotbed of paranormal activity. There's so much to see if you want to make a whole weekend of it, but but if you do nothing but the Houghton Mansion, you know, the, the, there's plenty to see. The old coot, you know, you wonder, you know, he gets down there in the Civil War. Maybe he became a, a Carolina Gamecocks fan or something while he was down in the South, and that's why he was never welcome back north. You think that might have been it? 
Well, I, I can tell you personally that, uh, you know, I, ghosts I can handle, Bigfoot, UFOs, any of that stuff. But uh, mountain people, they're what scare me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've seen way you too many episodes of... Adams that yeah. are still alive, too, so. Uh, although, you know, if we happen to come across a still, Jeff, we have no problem sampling that evidence. That's right. That's right. Oh, you got a we sound like mouth. a bunch of raging alcoholics, don't we? We do. Not only that, but we sound like, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of people who are going up there just to disturb the fine citizens of North Adams. That's not the case at all. Uh, we're going up there to experience the legends for ourselves, and you can join us. Uh, go to legendtrips.com if you want to pick up your tickets. Again, 149 for the entire uh, event to come hang out with us at the Haunted Bar on Friday night uh, for a little paranormal party where we're going to really let our hair down. Of course, Moniz's hair is always down, but uh, we'll really uh, kick back. And, you know, it, it can be a lot of fun, but it can also turn into a, a big roundtable discussion uh, about the paranormal as well. We've seen that happen while we've been out, out drinking. And uh, then on Saturday, we'll have the event itself. If you want to come just for that, it's $125. So you can't go wrong. I mean, there's two options there. If you can't get the whole weekend off, if you're not, if you're worried that you won't make it up there in time on Friday night, just come for the Saturday event. 125 for that. And uh, again, that will be our usual Legend Trips format where you'll get lectures, you'll get dinner, and you'll get hours of guided investigation. We've got to find a, a good pizza place up there, Josh. I hope you can recommend one. A uh, few, yeah. All right, cool. Nothing, hey, nothing, nothing like our friends at Vizzoni's, though. No, of course. Hey, Josh, real quick, is the is the Psychomantium Chamber still uh, still in the mansion? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. I never took it apart. It just needs to be uh, cleaned up a little bit. I think there's probably a little bit of layer of dust on the chair, but uh, I can definitely uh, get that thing shaped up. Oh, the yeah. oh so we can run people through the Psychomantium Chamber while we're there during you know because we'll be there in the afternoon, we'll be there in the evening. Uh, that's worth seeing too, and that's a that's a whole other discussion. I know it's a long time to get into it, but but basically, you're you're it's mirror gazing, you know, and you and you're inducing, uh, you know, you're inducing this this uh, this state of consciousness that might be open, you know, opening you to something that might be paranormal. All right, well, guys, I thank you so much for joining us and uh, for sharing a little bit of this information about the Houghton Mansion. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I love just getting out and seeing a place that I've never been to for the first time, and I'm really excited because we have a lot of people signing up for this event who we've never had come to some of our events before. So I want to get out there and investigate with new people because you never know. When when you have a, a certain mix of, of personalities and, and investigative styles and, and even just what people bring in terms of their own you know emotional and, and, and uh, spiritual baggage to an event – you never know what's going to happen, and it's going to be definitely a unique mix. And, of course, our, our old friends, our regular Legend Trippers, will all be there as well. So really looking forward to this. Thanks for setting this all up, and uh, and hopefully we can uh, get everybody out there and they can check this place out for themselves. Sounds good. All Thank right. you, guys. Good night. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right, that is Jeff Belanger and Josh Mantello. They'll be joining us for our event, Legend Trips Presents Haunting the Houghton, again, April 5th through the 7th. Uh, get your tickets now at legendtrips.com. Get them because they are going fast, and those room deals are drying up. And I can tell you, if you don't jump on one of those room deals, you might have some trouble getting a room up there. So you want to make this happen quickly because uh, there are a lot of people that go up there at that time of year. And, and of course, there's, there's colleges. Uh, there's a, the big college right up there, the Mass College of Liberal Arts. So there's there's going to be a, a definitely a lot of fun to be had up there during the course of a, a three-day weekend if you want to make a full weekend of it. And um, I guess, Moniz, we are because you, you, you volunteered to drive. Yep, not right. a problem. Because you've got that, you know, you've got the cool off-road vehicle. That we, I mean, mine, mine's all-wheel drive, too, but <laughs> we'll get stuck in the middle of nowhere in my Subaru. No, we'll take the Blazer. Yeah, we'll have some fun. 
And uh, if you'd like to have some fun again, legendtrips.com if you want to join us. And uh, we'll, I want to see what happens in that Psychomantium chamber, too. Psychomantiums have always interested me. We tried doing a little experiment with it at Lizzie Borden's, and, and some things happened. Uh, we definitely got some weird anomalies taking place. So I want to see what happens. We're in the real deal. Well, I got a chance to try theirs. It, it, it's pretty freaky. That's what I'm looking for, freaky. All right, we're going to take a break coming up here for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by our other guest for the evening, Dr. James Stein. He's going to be talking with us about his book called The Paranormal Equation, a new scientific perspective on remote viewing, clairvoyance, and other inexplicable phenomena. And, again, we talked about this at the top of the show, but this is being able to apply the paranormal to mathematics, to scientific reasoning and deduction and explanation when we've been trying to talk, you know, we've been talking about this for years. We've been trying to figure out how to do this. And and Dr. Stein thinks that he's figured out uh, the way to make it all work. So we'll talk to him about that. And uh, also Moniz real quick, we got about a minute here, but this, uh, this Higgs boson, I mean, this is pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. uh, My only concern is what are they going to do with the information? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, you got to, take into account too they're not going to be able to run some experiments up there because the the collider's down for a few years for repairs so they're just working with the data that they've been able to collect when it was online so you know it's 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 definitely exciting but we'll see where it goes from there and uh how this works uh, in terms of the whole world of the paranormal we'll do a show on that sometime down the line all right all right well we are going to take a break for the news during the break if you want to jump on the website and purchase those tickets legendtrips.com is the site if you want to find out more about our next guest dr james stein just go to spooky and click on his picture in the slideshow there as well if you are not watching on spooky tv what is wrong with you because matt costa the silent assassin is over there slicing and dicing and uh, he is definitely putting on a show with the video feed i'm watching it over here on my computer and i kind of want to just stop hosting the show and, and watch it but then somebody else would have to take over and also, uh, you've been a tweeting machine this week, I noticed. I know, I'm on uh, Twitterson or <laughs> part of the Twitterverse. Yeah. yeah. At Smoking Monkeys, M O N K E E Z. I am. I, I, uh, we're getting on board the, uh, the Twitter train. Uh, a few years Spooky too late. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Moni's, no, we tried. We, we tried. No, we, no go. Not happening. And uh, Chris Balzano was on. He's going to get one. He's going to get one. Chris is I'm on. twist his arm, I think. At Spooky Balzano. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back coming up with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does. AM fourteen twenty WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. Matt, I got to ask you, was, was silent assassin not available on Twitter, or were you um, thinking more of your global multimedia empire? I was, I was, I was thinking of the, uh, the multimedia empire that is forthcoming. <laughs> Smoking Monkeys Productions. Yes. It's for all your, all your production needs. What, what exactly would that entail? What can you do? <laughs> tail monkey. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. That's just bananas. Um, pretty much uh whatever you throw at us, I guess. 
So you want to put it out there now that Smoking Monkeys is available for? Oh uh, yeah, because okay. I don't know. I don't get a lot going on right now. <laughs> and uh, we should probably talk about this but. off the air, but I, I do assume that the uh, the not Matt Moniz parody Twitter account is coming. The not Matt Moniz? Yes. Oh yeah. Since yeah. he <laughs> since he won't actually start one of his own. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, actually. we're gonna have some fun with that. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Well, uh, but again, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we mentioned at the beginning of the uh, uh, the end of the second hour, uh, end of the first hour, you can follow the show at Spooky SC. You can follow me at Tim Weisberg. Follow Matt Costa at Smoking Monkeys, M-O-N-K-E-E-Z. And uh, you can follow Chris Balzano at Spooky Balzano. And uh, for those of you who are in the local area, tomorrow I'll actually be covering the New Bedford Half Marathon for the Standard Times. And one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to be tweeting live updates from the race. So if you want to follow at Tim Weisberg on Twitter, you can follow along with some of the updates from the New Bedford Half Marathon. And if you're out there and you want to share some of your tweets with us, uh, we'll be doing it with the hashtag NBHalf. So hashtag NBHalf. And uh, so that's the way to follow along and, and to also share your sights and sounds and pictures and videos and whatever else you want to send in to us. So it should be fun. I've never done anything really interactive like this with the newspaper. And it's something that I really want to do with us here on the show. Uh, especially with investigations and things, legend trips in the future, and really get interactive. Uh, so this will be well. I'll I'll use this as a paid test run since I'm getting paid to be out there. You know, we might as well test it out and see how it goes. And it's uh, it's going to be a, a pretty pretty good day for a marathon. I think I've never actually covered the marathon, so I'm looking forward to doing it for the first time. So uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I make no promises that my tweeting skills are up to par because, as we talked about last week, I really really let my Twitter account go to waste. So uh, we're going to be checking checking it out tomorrow and seeing what I can do. All right, let's get right into the discussion uh, with our guest tonight. And his name is Dr. Jim Stein, and he's written a, a fabulous book here that we'll talk about throughout the course of the night, The Paranormal Equation, A New Scientific Perspective on Remote Viewing, Clairvoyance, and Other Inexplicable Phenomena. Uh, he received a BA in mathematics from Yale, Magna Cum Laude, and his MA and PhD from the University of California at Berkeley. He has served on state and nationwide panels on mathematics education, blogged for Psychology Today and the Huffington Post, and won regional and national championships at Contract Bridge. He's the author of more than 30 research articles on mathematics and the co-author of textbooks on math and strategic management, as well as several books on math and science for the general public. And uh, Jim, I do have to ask you if, if, you know, when we... If math does come up, please make it as simple as possible for me because uh, I, I got a C in, in algebra. And uh, that was the only C that I got, but uh, I did get a C. Uh, he can't hear me. All right. So we'll uh, we'll try and connect with him on his landline. That'll probably be better. Uh, Jim, I'll just type in for you the number to call on your Skype so you can call into the landline when you can. And... Uh, This is good radio. Great radio. This is this is what we do here. <laughs> we fight our way through technology. And uh, so, I mean, if this is going so well, I can only imagine how well the tweeting is going to go tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, but we do. We try. We try to bring people the best quality program that we can. So we do take risks and we try to connect via Skype and, you know, this station, they do We're what they do. They experimentation. They do their thing here, and they're not necessarily trying to pull off the same type of things that we are. So, uh, you know, things aren't always set up for us to do it the way that we need to do it. So we just fight through. Well, you were right. The uh, studio is up to 1990s standards, so 
it I mean it works sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we're able to connect with the guests via Skype. And yeah. and it sounds great. It sounds like they're here with us in the studio. So that's why we prefer to use it when we can. But uh, sometimes we run into issues where the guests can't hear uh, the people that are calling in on the phone. And in this case, Jim couldn't hear me. So that's kind of a problem. You know, the, the, the people calling in, we could work our way around. But when you can't hear the host of the show, that's that's a little bit of an issue. So uh, he's going to call us back on, on his landline. But uh, I do have to say, though, you know, the the fact that we can start doing this stuff more and more, you know, that we can connect with people via Skype, uh, it is a sign of the time. So eventually the station will have everything correct. I knew we were in trouble tonight, though, when I signed into Skype and it asked me to set up all the microphones and, mm-hmm. and headsets and all that. That's how I knew that we were in trouble. <laughs> all right, Jim, okay, sorry about ready that. Ready to go. All right. <laughs> And uh, as I was saying, though, uh, when you couldn't hear me as I was introducing you, I did say that uh, if the subject of math does come up, please try and keep it as simple as possible because I got a C in algebra and I had to work really hard just to get that. No problem at all. <laughs> I talk about it rather than doing it. That sounds good. That that works for me. Now, you've been a, a mathematics professor for a long time and, and you've actually written a number of works pertaining to just straight out mathematics, right? That's absolutely right. And so, I, I mean, I know it's it's a cliche question that I'm sure you're tired of hearing at this point, but how does a mathematician get involved in studying the paranormal? Well, I'll tell you, it started, in a way, it started a long time ago, because I've always been fascinated by the paranormal. And quite frankly, I think that anybody who isn't really needs to have their head examined, because what could be more fascinating than the possible extension of human sensory capabilities? And I remember the first thing that I ever read on the paranormal was a science fiction novel called Slan, which was written by A.E. Van Vogt in about the mid-1940s and described the adventures of a young girl telepath in a society that regarded telepaths as enemies and hunted them down. And it's an absolutely fascinating story. And also, at about that time, uh, not at the time that A.E. Van Vogt read, uh, wrote the book, but a few years later, there was an experience um, with an individual named Bridie Murphy. And Bridie Murphy was a story that appeared in the New York Herald Tribune and was serialized for um, a number of days. And it described a Colorado housewife who was put under hypnosis and subjected to something called past life regression. And when this uh, took place, she lapsed into speaking in an, with an Irish accent, very appropriate considering that tomorrow was St. Patrick's Day, and um, describing her life back in the 18th century. And this was fascinating stuff, at least to me. And I was, you know, I was uh, an early teenager at the time. And later on, it was discovered that even though there was no fraud associated with this, nonetheless. Uh, there had been an individual named Bridie Murphy Corkle who'd been a neighbor of the woman who was put under hypnosis. And the general feeling now is that what she was doing is she was recalling some of the experiences that uh, her neighbor had told her. But nonetheless, um, over the years, I did some reading because I was always interested in science fiction and the paranormal. And it turns out that a lot of scientists have believed in the paranormal and some extremely distinguished ones. And I sort of had the, uh, the viewpoint of an open-minded skeptic in the sense that um, I had never really had any paranormal experiences, although friends of mine had had what they described as 
paranormal experiences. But I knew that um, some very eminent uh, scientists had actually investigated the paranormal and continued to believe in it. And Einstein himself was asked by a psychologist friend of his what he thought about telepathy because the psychologist had investigated telepathy for a number of years. And he asked Einstein what physics had to say about it. And Einstein said, it seems to me at any rate that we have no right from a physical standpoint to deny a priori the possibility of telepathy. For that sort of denial, the foundations of our science are too unsure and too incomplete. And that sort of expressed my point of view. I think I, uh, Einstein was probably an open-minded skeptic. But a few years ago when I was writing one of the books to which you referred, and the name of the book, can I stick in a shameless plug here? Absolutely, sure thing. Terrific, How Math Explains the World. All of a sudden, I realized that mathematics had come up with a possible way to explain what might account for paranormal or supernatural phenomena. And it isn't really necessary for me to go uh, very deeply into mathematics at all to describe the idea. But basically, there was an Austrian mathematician named Kurt Gerdell who discovered in the late 1930s that there were true statements in mathematics that simply could not be proved. And this isn't a statement really about paranormal or the supernatural. It's a statement about the limitations of logic. But what Gerdell discovered was that there were certain mathematical systems to which this applied. And some of those systems are systems which have actual realizations in the physical world, things such as measurements involving length, time, force, energy, information, the stuff of which physics is made. And basically, it occurred to me that um, in an infinite universe, and what Gerdell was discussing was uh, the limitations of proving things in infinite systems, in an infinite universe, there would be things that were true that we could never explain. And to me, this, uh, this is what, if there is such a thing as legitimate supernatural or paranormal phenomena, it may very well come under the heading of, hey, there are things that are true that we'll never be able to explain. And that's how I got interested in it. And when I look at life on Earth and I look at the different types of species on Earth, there are limitations to what those species can understand. I mean, it, it, as far as we know, you know, the, the brains of some of these lesser creatures than ourselves can't comprehend the higher thought processes that we can. And so it's, it's I think it's egotistical of us to think that we can perceive and understand everything that goes on in the universe uh, with our limited current knowledge. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, not only is it egotistical, it's mathematically impossible. That's what Gerdell showed, um, that there are things that... Um, I won't say that we can't understand them, um, because understanding is sort of a psychological, you know, is, is a psychological idea rather than a mathematical one. Mm -hmm. But mathematics deals with proving stuff. You know, uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to remember math especially well. But there was there's a theorem in geometry called the Pythagorean theorem, and what it does is it it states a truth about right triangles. And you don't even have to remember what that truth is. It's just that there are an infinite number of right triangles, and you'll never arrive at that truth by going around and measuring every right triangle. It just isn't possible. So what you have to do is you have to use logic. 
But what Gerdell showed was that there were limitations to logic in the sense that there were true statements about mathematics that logic would never be able to access. And that speaks to what you said to the extent that there are things that we simply will never know because logic itself is limited. And that means that if you accept the fact that the universe is infinite, and I've talked to several top physicists about this, and the general uh, impression of the physics community is that the universe is infinite in both space and time. Um, not everybody agrees, but that's sort of the general, you know, that's sort of the majority viewpoint. Um, if that's the case, then there are going to be true things that we will never be able to establish. We may very well get a hint of them. Um, we may suspect them, but we'll never be able to prove them. And uh, that's, you know, as a species, we're limited, but it's not just us. It's true for any sentient species. No species would be able to prove these things. So they are genuinely unknowable, not only to us, but even if uh, at some stage we hope that humans will evolve into something even more, uh, even more impressive, whatever we evolve into or even beyond that, we'll never be able to establish these things. They're genuinely, legitimately unknowable to any species that uses logic to establish its truth. Well, you mentioned that you've been in discussion with a number of physicists over the years, and over the last couple of decades, there's been a real rise in popularity in the theory of uh, multiple universes, parallel universes, and that this could explain a lot of the paranormal phenomena uh, that we experience. Uh, what's your take on, on the idea of the multiverse? Well, I'm a firm believer in the multiverse, and there are lots of, you know, there are lots of physicists that believe in it, and... If your listeners would like a relatively good introduction to various topics surrounding the multiverse, um, a physicist named Max Tegmark wrote an article in Scientific American, I think it's May 2003, but if you Google Tegmark, T-E-G-M-A-R-K, and, and parallel universes, he's got a website and he's got copies of the articles in there. And like anything in Scientific American, it's not going to be understandable by a fifth grader. Mm -hmm. But much of, the, you know, much of the ideas in it are accessible to somebody generally knowledgeable. And he points out that there are lots of different ways in which um, an, a multiverse is possible. And one of the things that he states, which he begins the article in a very intriguing way, at this moment there's a person identical to you on a planet identical to Earth in a solar system identical to our solar system in a universe that is in every way identical to ours reading that article, except that when they reach this point, you continue reading and that other person gets up and goes for a cup of coffee. And this is legitimate science. There's nothing that we know of that contradicts this. And in, indeed, it's probably a majority viewpoint of a lot of different physicists. We'll never be able to visit that universe, but it exists. So do you think that a lot of these, uh, say, ghostly encounters are a view into those other universes? I'm not sure about what you might call ghostly encounters. Um, when you talk about something like ghosts and um, it's really hard sort of to define what a ghost is because what you, um, you're going to have to say that it's some sort of uh, spirit associated with people who 
were alive but are now dead or something like that. It's something that science hasn't really got a good, uh, firm grip on. And when you see ghost hunters on TV or something like that, and you say, well, we are now going to scientifically investigate ghosts, they do nothing of the sort. They go into a presumably haunted house with a bunch of random equipment, take a bunch of random measurements, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to entertain you. They're trying to get their sponsors to renew their TV show. So they'll, they'll do anything possible to entertain you. It's not a legitimate scientific experiment, but you may very well be entertained. Um, but if there ever is legitimate scientific proof of things that we would consider to be ghosts, scientists are going to jump all over it because there's absolutely nothing that scientists want more than to investigate legitimate new phenomena. And part of the problem that the paranormal and the supernatural encounter is that it's very difficult to investigate these things. Most legitimate investigations have come up inconclusive at best, and also the difficulty is there's a lot of fraud associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the difficulties that arises in the investigation of phenomena like this. And another difficulty that, invest that arises in these investigations are that science is a, uh, science is a funded in enterprise. Um, it takes money to pay scientists. It takes money to buy scientific equipment. And who puts up money for scientific investigations? Basically, there are two groups, governments and private companies and corporations. And the reason that they do is basically self-interest. Governments want to put up money for, say, investigating cancer research, because if something good is developed, the government can say, hey, look what we've done. We've managed to improve your lives. Elect us. And private corporations will put up money for things like this because what they hope is that they can develop products from it. Believe me, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm 71 years old, so believe me, if somebody comes up with possible uh, cures for cancer, at least, uh, uh, at least things that will make cancer a more survivable proposition, I'm going to be very interested in it, and most people would be too. So if you look at it, there's motivation for doing cancer research. On the other hand, what's the payoff for telepathy? Suppose that one were to be able to prove that telepathy were a legitimate phenomenon. Well, presumably, you know, the government has had projects involving telepathy because they'd like to have soldiers to be able to communicate telepathically as well as other ways. But those investigations really haven't paid off to the extent that, say, just more straightforward investigations have. And if you were to look at something like ghosts, if ghosts do exist, it's obviously fascinating. But what's the payoff? You know, why would a government invest money in it? Why would a private enterprise invest money in it? There's no, you know, there's no bottom line payoff that you can see. And considering that it's so difficult to obtain positive results, and there's so much fraud that has been associated with it, and scientists really like to steer clear of fraud, it's very difficult to get these investigations off the ground. Doesn't all of this sound familiar to you, Tim? <laughs> My co-host Matt Moniz here is a, is a scientist, and, and he's been studying the paranormal for just about 30 years now, and, and he's been preaching pretty much the same uh, point of view that, you know, there's there's no money to be made, so there's no research to be done. But uh, I think the the money to be made actually comes in uh, the uh, 
the entertainment. Factor? I'd say the I'd say the imagined scientific approach, where investigators are going into these locations with these devices and they're going off and they're flashing and beeping and doing all these different things and and they're taking devices that may be good for uh, actual scientific pursuit but essentially misusing them. And yeah, I, th- I think that's a good yeah. I, I think that's a good statement of it. I'm not sure whether or not Matt would agree, but. Um, if he's been looking at these things, he's joined a group of very, very serious scientists who have done so. And probably um, he's familiar, um, I think the leading investigator of that at the moment is probably a guy named Brian Josephson, who's a British physicist. I was just thinking the same thing, right? What? I was just thinking the same thing, Brian Josephson, yep. Yeah, okay. I mean, no, Nobel Prize winning. Yeah. Exactly. Nobel Prize winner, quantum mechanics. This is not a guy to be trifled with. And if he thinks that, you know, if he thinks that there's, that there's um, something here worth investigating, you can't just toss it aside. And um, that's why I tend to be an open-minded skeptic. I've, I've read a lot of stuff on paranormal investigations, and um, I'm, not, I'm not convinced one way or the other. Um, I think that um, I know people who are, you know, who are convinced that this is legitimate, that these are legitimate phenomena. I think the majority of science, the scientific community is not so convinced. Um, but the mere fact that you have outliers and brilliant outliers who are willing to look at it, well, the truth is that almost all the great developments in science have come against the mainstream view the really revolutionary views in science, the ones that change our lives, are generally done by a few people who think very, very differently from the mainstream and manage to be able to show that what they are talking about is the way that it is. Um, Now, admittedly, a lot of the people who think differently from the mainstream, they go through life and they just don't come up with anything. And uh, that's life. Um, You have to... you, you. uh, you have to be willing to take risks in an enterprise like this, and you're taking a risk in two ways. You're taking a risk in that you know that there's been a lot of investigation done, and the results are, you know, the results are inconclusive. Let's let's just say at least inconclusive to the majority of the scientific community. And you're also taking a risk in that you're going to be an outlier, and the members of the scientific community are going to look at you askance. But nonetheless, someone like Brian Josephson can afford to do it because this is a guy with absolutely impeccable credentials. Um, you win a Nobel Prize in physics. No, um, you want to go off and do whatever you want to do. Everybody's going to say, you know, enjoy yourself. Um, you've, you've done more than could possibly have been expected for science. And um, his investigations um, resulted in something called Josephson junctions, which are types of electronic equipment which are used in things such as uh, MRI, you know, MRI devices and numerous other uh, numerous other high-tech apparatus. So he's, you know, he's done a service not only to the scientific community but to the human race as well. And if he wants to go off and investigate something like this. I'm actually glad that he's doing it because I think these phenomena are sufficiently intriguing that they ought to be investigated, and they ought to be investigated by people who are legitimate investigators because, um, 
you know, you can have, you know, even if ghost hunters were to reach number one on, uh, you know, were to reach number one, well, American Idol is number one, or Dancing with the Stars is number one, and it isn't going to make a ripple in the scientific community. But nonetheless, if a top scientist comes up with unimpeachable evidence, that's going to make ripples. And I think that only people uh, who are willing to take these chances are going to make those ripples. And people who are willing to make these chances, it's best that they have nothing to lose. Because um, if you are trying to make your career in science and you say, okay, I'm going this way, you're not going to get any funding. Funding. It's going to be hard for you to get tenure if you're untenured at your institution. And you're probably going to be, in some respects, an outcast of the community. But because it is such an interesting possibility, um, I think that we're fortunate that there are people out there who are still willing to do these investigations. Well, Doc, uh, mind if I add a little something into this? Please do. Uh, well, not all of the greatest advances in science have been by, you know, degreed scientists. I'll give you a perfect example, Orville and Wilbur Wright, two basically bicycle makers. Not that, an advance in science. Well, An advance in technology. True. Um, okay. But, but uh, perfectly, you know, uh, there have been numerous, actually there have been lots of advances in science by, uh, especially if you look in the 18th and 19th century when Madame science Curie. was basically done by, uh, by essentially wealthy people with time on their hands who were sort of curious. Like um, curious. Uh, so now, nowadays, because of the difficulty of doing a lot of experiments, because you do require high-tech equipment for the most part, you do have to be funded. It is connected with, you know, it does tend to be connected with institutions. But yes, there there's still a possibility that um, that somebody can, you know, that somebody can discover something using very low-tech equipment. Um, I think it's unlikely. Um, and I also think it's unlikely that uh, uh, that I, I think it would take a Brian Josephson to make a breakthrough in this area because so many people have tried it. But nonetheless, it's not only true in the sciences. Um, in my own field of mathematics, a lot of the really great advances in mathematics have been made by people who are graduate students who just aren't aware of all the problems that the mainstream community has encountered, and they go off on their own way. And for all I know, it's very possible that somebody may be able to, you know, you look at something like um, telepathy or, you know, or any one of the other possible paranormal phenomena. I can see it's very possible that somebody could take $100 worth of equipment and come up with something something constructive it's not you know it's not beyond the realm of possibility but i think it's less likely than uh than when you have somebody really high powered going at it it is one of those strange things that people feel like they can go out and buy a couple of hundred dollars worth of equipment and and consider themselves on the level of somebody like dr josephson because the way they see it is they're doing the same work but it's it's not the same it's not the same at all and we've become well, at least I've become somewhat critical uh, over the last few years of those who are out doing this as, as hobbyists and trying to apply the scientific method to it because, like you said, you're trying to uh, do this in a manner that is not necessarily uh, scientific in its pursuit. But if somebody did go out and prove this, like a Dr. Josephson, 
would that validate what these paranormal groups that are out there have been gathering and what they've been calling evidence and data over these past you know decades would would that discovery validate what they've done i don't really think so because um what can happen is that it it would validate um it would validate the idea that they're investigating a legitimate phenomenon mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it would necessarily validate the particular investigation that and they were methods. performing. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, you can, you know, and, and there's nothing, you know. There, uh, I wouldn't discourage anybody from uh, from going out and doing something like this. I mean, I I uh, I, I, w- I said at one stage when somebody was asking me a question, um, they were asking me what I thought about astrology. And I said, I thought that astrology is a benign form of entertainment. Um, I don't think it has any scientific legitimacy at all. But as entertainment, when you see an astrology column in the paper, it's usually there's usually a disclaimer to the effect that um, this is intended as entertainment. But it's right. certainly benign um, in the following sense. Soccer is a form of entertainment, and hundreds, maybe thousands of people have been killed in soccer riots throughout the world, whereas I haven't heard of a single individual who's been killed as the result of an astrology riot. And I don't know of any harm whatsoever has come from, uh, you know, somebody going out into a presumably haunted house with some form of measuring devices and taking some random measurements whatsoever. I see no harm in it. What I, I see no harm. The only harm that I can see is if they trip over something and break right. a leg. And, that that uh, has happened, and there have been people that have died uh, doing investigations. We just had somebody that died recently in the past six months because of exposure to black mold. Right. So um, there is a danger level is a to danger. it, but that's... The danger isn't necessarily going into a haunted location. It's going into a unsanitary or unsafe location. Right. Sure. It, that's, that's not something that's directly associated. You know, we're, you know uh, uh, what's his name? Sonny Bono skied into a tree and killed himself. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't invalidate skiing. That just means that you have to be a little more careful when you mm-hmm. do it. And uh, the same is true with investigations like this. And um, I don't see... It, what is possible, I guess, is that if these measurements are performed with rigorous accuracy, it is possible that somebody with the knowledge of how to piece this data together might be able to come up with some legitimate theory that does some sort of explanation on a statistical or possibly even scientific basis. I know from... Um, there's a branch of mathematics called a branch of statistics called meta-analysis, which basically amounts to looking at a bunch of different results, which give mildly positive results that are not conclusive by themselves, but putting them all together, the result is positive. And I know, for instance, that there are people who investigate the paranormal, who invoke uh, invoke meta-analysis as a way of putting these pieces together. And I think if somebody just goes out there and takes a bunch of random measurements, it doesn't, it doesn't help much because they haven't really conducted a scientific experiment. When you conduct a scientific experiment, you have to control as many parameters as possible. You can't just go in there with a thermometer and say, ooh, it's colder here than it is over there, or I just saw a temperature spike. Well, what could have happened is a cold wind could have blown. Um, 
there there are legitimate ways to conduct scientific experiments. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure your uh, co-host is well aware of this. But if people were to conduct science experiments um, uh, correctly, it doesn't matter whether you use $100,000 worth of equipment or $100 worth of equipment. If they're legitimate experiments conducted appropriately, then the data is valid. I just doubt that the people on Ghost Hunters are obtaining valid data, and I doubt that the people who go into uh, presumably haunted houses with random pieces of electronic equipment are conducting, you know, are conducting scientific experiments according to legitimate scientific protocols. Well, you, you just used the appropriate word, protocols. There is no one specific protocol that's generally used by let's call them ghost hunters uh, and that's another piece that science is very much a stickler on is precise protocols and there's in the paranormal community let's say a rather diverse means of investigation that's done there's no one standardized methodology and in order for science correct me if i'm wrong to accept this they w they would prefer something be more let's call it standardized correct sure um, because this is, you know, the reason that they want that to be the case is that this is what they know works. Yeah, this is what has, you know, if you look at the world we live in, um, I'm a huge science fan, not only because I think it's fascinating, but because it makes my life just a whole lot better. Um, I'm a lot happier living now the way that I live. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a math teacher. Um, we live, you know, we don't live like, uh, you know, we don't live luxuriously, but if you ask me, do I want to trade my life here and now as a person who lives in, you know, in a modest, uh, in a modest house in, uh, in a, in a uh, portion of Los Angeles with the richest person in the world in the 19th century, I wouldn't trade for a moment. And the reason that I wouldn't trade for a moment is, hey, I'm talking to you via telephone. Um, I can go up and look at all this fascinating stuff on the Internet. I see these wonderful television programs. When I have a toothache, I go to the dentist. It gets cured. I can go down to my neighborhood Chinese restaurant and get fabulous takeout, which I never would have been able to get in the 19th century. Much better living now. And we owe that to science and technology. And science and technology uh, knows what produces good science and technology, and they have a track record of doing it. And so um, rather than trying to invent a new wheel, I'd rather go with the wheel that is known to work. All right, well, we are talking with Dr. Jim Stein. If you'd like to call in with any questions, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And we talked about controlling the parameters and repeatability being uh, two of the big factors that the scientific community would look at for proof of, say, ghosts, for example. But one of the areas where they have been able to, to have some success with this is in the idea of clairvoyance, psychic abilities, ESP. Uh, and I'm guessing, uh, Jim, that you find that those are probably something that we're going to find a little bit more provable through these methods. Yeah, actually, interestingly enough, um, I... I'm uh, I'm not exactly sure about clairvoyance, although I have had so many friends who have had clairvoyant experiences that I almost feel like I've had good secondhand clairvoyant experiences myself. I've never had firsthand experiences. But what I do believe is I believe strongly that 
at some stage telepathy will be a reality. I don't think it'll be telepathy in the sense that I'll be able to read your thoughts unassisted, but I think that when uh, um, it's pretty well known that when we think, electrochemical processes take place take place in our brain, and we already have uh, we already have electroencephalographic devices that are able to pinpoint areas of the brain that are associated with particular types of uh, thought. For instance, we know that a particular area will light up if you're thinking about sex. Another area will think up if you're lighting will light up if you're thinking about food, and if you're thinking about uh, you know, if you're thinking about the party you're going to tomorrow, that's a different area entirely. And I think that um, what is happening is that these different thoughts are going to produce different, a, a different electric or electro, uh, electric field around the brain. And I think that um, the changes that are being induced around the brain rather than in the brain are very subtle, and we need more. Uh, we need more powerful equipment to be able to detect the really subtle changes that are produced in the outside by thought. But nonetheless, I think that sooner or later we'll have the technology, and then it's merely a matter of developing interpretive devices, you know, sort of a Rosetta Stone, if you will, that will be able to translate these changes in the uh, electric fields that we produce when we think. Um, to the actual thoughts themselves. And I think that's going to happen. I don't know whether it's going to happen in 50 years, 100 years, or 1,000 years, but I think it's going to happen. And I think that ESP will turn out to be a reality because it's not really that well-defined exactly what ESP is. When we say extrasensory perception, take something like intuition. Um, exactly, you know, Everybody's had sort of intuitive experiences of one form or another. And are you getting some sort of psychic insight, or is what is happening is that you are putting together data that you've acquired um, by means of mental processes that are perfectly legitimate that we can't put our finger on at the moment because uh, the brain has been evolving for three and a half billion years, ever since life has been in, around on Earth, and we've been studying it, you know, intensively for maybe a hundred. So uh, there's so much to be done in the way of brain research that I think if you look at what intuition is, I think it won't turn out to be great flashes of insight, but it will be legitimate phenomena that at the moment we classify maybe as paranormal um, but nonetheless, I think what will happen is that we'll discover that there are rational reasons for it. And I think, you know, with something like clairvoyance, that too is actually possible, although I think it's a long shot, with legitimate explanations. Because whenever anything happens, uh, things change in the universe. And the only question is, um, how far away and through what methods are these changes detectable? And um, we're just beginning to explore this, even though we've had, you know, we've had technology that can detect changes in, say, electric fields for 150 years. We're, you know, give us another thousand years and let's see what we've got. Well, I've always thought that there's a difference between intuition and having a hunch. And uh, it, it's kind of like what you said, where you're taking, you know, experiences and, and other mental processes and kind of applying them to situation. But I think intuition is having a clear cut uh, precognitive experience and to, to actually have ESP defined. And, and 
you said that it hasn't been clearly defined. In order for it to exist in your mind, does it have to be not literally in your mind, but <laughs> in, in your thoughts to have ESP be a legitimate, acceptable phenomena? Does it have to be something that can be um, accessed and repeated at any given time, or can it be something that is just a, a once in a while, on occasion type of an experience? Um, I wish I could say, because I don't know. There are sporadic events which are perfectly legitimate, which are a legitimate part of the universe as we know it. I think um, in order for me to be, uh, you see, whenever you get into an area like this, you run into the following problem. Where does nature and and the supernatural begin? Mm -hmm. Um, And what happens is, as we learn more and more science, the border between, you know, the boundary gets pushed further back. And... um, Obviously, because, you know, because as a species, we're limited in time, we're limited in resources. These are some questions that we may never know. And, for instance, when you say that you think of it, there being a difference between a hunch and intuition, um, how would you, you know, I, uh, um, I realize I'm supposed to be the interviewee rather than the interviewer. <laughs> no, no, we're just having a conversation. That's how we look at it. Oh, okay. Good deal. <laughs> okay. What would you say is the difference between having a hunch and intuition? I couldn't, you know, if you asked me to put it to it, to define it, I couldn't. Hmm. Well, I, I've just always thought that, you know, there's a difference between when somebody says they have an educated guess and when they have a gut feeling. You know, there's 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 a difference in that because uh, you're setting different parameters in your own mind for it. Um, All right, then how do you separate déjà vu from precognition? I actually uh, am completely on the fence about déjà vu because it happens to me so frequently that I, I used to just dismiss it as being um, kind of like your brain pauses for a second, and as it catches back up, it's like, wait a minute, you know, this seems familiar, even though it's really just your brain is catching up to what just happened. Uh, but I'm starting to find more and more experiences where it seems like, yes, this has happened before. And I can go longer and longer stretches where I can almost predict what's going to happen. And again, I don't think that I have any kind of abilities here. I'm just saying that I think that the deja vu experience, which is universal, uh, is exactly what we're talking about. But in terms of a hunch, I mean, it's just, uh, I guess maybe it's how I define it personally. I mean, I define it as being something that I just assume is going to happen rather than something that I know is going to happen. Um, if you, was, uh, well, first of all, I, I think intuition, um, you know, I think most of us, if you were to define intuition as we know it's going to happen, well, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, intuition sometimes, you know, sometimes leads you astray. And, uh, Which some people will uh, say that you know having the thought that it will happen then influences whether or not it can happen. Oh, I think that's probably true to a certain extent. Um, you know, I think that whenever you have any sort of, uh, I, you know, the universe is such a complicated place, and human beings and the human mind is so complicated that we influence outcomes by our belief in whether or not those outcomes are plausible. Now, whether or not we can influence things um, um, you, that are part of the physical universe, that I'm not sure about. But we can certainly influence things that are part of our life. I find that um, I'm basically a very optimistic person. I assume that things are going to work out. And amazingly enough, for the most part, things have. Um, and I think that that comes from being optimistic. Um, I don't think it's that I happen to be born under you know, the seventh son of the seventh son or something like that. I just think that optimism 
tends to make things work a little better than the pes- than than people who are pessimistic and so you can in, you know you can definitely influence things that happen in your own life but i don't think i can influence the speed of light by th- by saying slow down light i don't think it's going to happen i think that there are things that are in the universe that i can't control but what exactly can we control and what can't we these are questions that are, you know, these are questions that probably if we were to come back in a thousand years, we'd still be asking. Well, Jim, we have about four que- uh, four minutes left, and I, I want to ask you a question that might be a little bit loaded uh, in that time frame. But you talked about how you feel like astrology is, is kind of purely for entertainment purposes. And being a mathematician, I have to ask you then, how do you feel about numerology? Well, I have, uh, I have strong feelings about numerology. Um, I think that numerology um, is in the same framework as astrology, but more so, because astrology was something that was, uh, astrology was a system of explaining things that was devised by Ptolemy, who was a very brilliant scientist in the, uh, uh, a couple of centuries after Christ. And um, uh, Linus Pauling was once asked about astrology, and he said that he thought that if Ptolemy came back nowadays, he'd realized that the world was such that um, uh, the assumptions that he made to devise astrology just were no longer, you know, no longer accurate or relevant. But the difficulty with numerology is that there's no, there are no principles involved. There are, uh, uh, that I can see, for instance, people, you know, people will say, well, these numbers have certain properties. You can't make any predictions. You can't make any predictions from it. But there's one thing that I really like about numerology. It gets people interested in numbers. And my guess is that there are hundreds of millions of people in the world interested in numbers. And if you took just the smallest fraction of those people who are interested in numbers and manifest that interest through numerology and instead had them look into what numbers can really do when they're put into engineering or science, we might be a lot closer to things like cheap energy or a cure for cancer. So for all of the numerologists who might be listening, hey, pick up a book on science and look at what they can do with numbers in there. It's pretty neat. All right. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and hopefully you can come back with us again sometime and we can talk about some of these topics even more in depth. The book is called, it is called The Paranormal Equation, A New Scientific Perspective on Remote Viewing, Clairvoyance, and Other Inexplicable Phenomena, and you can get it from Amazon and pretty much anywhere books are sold. And uh, and I definitely wish you a lot of success with this, and hopefully you'll have some more paranormal titles coming down the line, although I do have to say that, uh, you know, the other title you mentioned, it was uh, How Math Explains the Universe. Is that How it? Math Explains the World. You're not going to read it, I know. <laughs> I don't know, though. It, it, it sounds like it might actually make things seem a little bit better for me. So that should have been my textbook in high school. Oh, okay. Well, believe me, uh, I think that algebra is basically unnecessary. (laughs) However, arithmetic is not. All right. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, Mr. Rojic, you now have to amend my transcript for that. All right. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure. Have a great night. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Jim Stein. Again, check out his book. You can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Uh, You can also get it from Amazon.com. Pick it up. Check it out. And ponder some of these thoughts because uh you know a lot of people do feel like they are investigating the paranormal from a scientific perspective and they might not really understand what that means 
you know that's unfortunate but that's how it goes so check that out and uh, and let us know let us know what you think of it and monies i'm going to get a copy of this book into your hands because uh, i, I sure. just want to see how you feel uh, you're going to come book he's got several Which well one the, the paranormal equation oh okay. because i know that once you read it you're going to come back and be like yep <laughs> this guy is me <laughs> i understand him exactly all right, so uh, we are just about done with this week's program, but we will be back next week uh, to talk more with you about the world of the paranormal. You can keep up with us online all week long through our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can also follow us on Facebook, the Spooky South Coast page on Facebook. We also have the Legend Trips page on Facebook, and uh, don't forget, LegendTrips.com is the website if you want to pick up tickets to our Haunting the Houghton event April 5th through the 7th at the Houghton Mansion, which we discussed uh, earlier in the program and it's just going to be a fascinating night. And, of course, one of our guests at that event is Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio. We want to wish him luck tonight as he is filling in on Coast to Coast AM for John B. Wells. So uh, that'll be uh, definitely an interesting listen. Good good for the ride home. And uh, I wish I could stay up all night and listen to the entire show, but I have to go to bed and get up and cover the half marathon in the morning. So uh, until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.